0: Psalm 130 to begin this morning. Out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Redemption, hear the word of the Lord. Inquiring minds always want to know the inside story. Isn't that true? We all love the inside story of a great plan that we just do not know fully. In 1991, Saddam Hussein when he was leading Iraq, invaded Kuwait. And then President Bush, number one, uh, marshaled a coalition that pushed them out of Kuwait back into Iraq, and it happened with the execution of an extraordinary plan over just a few days. And there may even be persons here... uh, who were serving at that time in that theater of war, for which we're grateful for your service. But everyone was hearing the reports of what was going on, but not knowing just how the plan had all worked out. Well, we got a very clear picture when a guy who seemed to me, he came out of the womb to be an Army General, General Norman Schwarzkopf, He held a press conference on the 27th of February on 1991. Some of you may remember the images as he stood before the press and explained how this plan was conceived, how it was executed, and why it worked so flawlessly. And the way he handled himself there that day, it was the... uh, insider's word on what really went on. It is long remembered as one of the great military press conferences in the modern era. There's a sense in which Romans chapter 3 verses 21 through 26 is like the living Lord himself incarnate coming to the podium and explaining his great plan of salvation. You'll remember Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 4 where the author of the book of Hebrews asks rhetorically, how shall we escape if we neglect, and here's his turn of phrase, so great a salvation? And so Paul here unloads the center and core of gospel Christianity, now unless we are in mining, we do not appreciate the phrase mother load. Uh, the mother load is the central vein in a mine for the mineral or the commodity that is being mined out of the mountain. It's it's the core is there, and you you always want to hit the mother load. You have to put Uh, the least amount of assets in to get the great amount of benefit so you're trying to find the mother load this is the mother load commentators note that this paragraph in six verses explains the gospel like no other six verses in the new testament what a privilege is mine this morning to take you through it now i'm going to read it to you here's what i want you to listen for You remember that the theme of the book of Romans is this gift of righteousness that God offers us in Jesus, offers to give it to us freely. So this notion of righteousness is going to register. Now, four times in these six verses, he will use the term righteousness. Notice the critical role of faith as I read it to you. Verse 22, notice that verse 24, he accents that our relatedness to God is on the basis of a gift. That's the word, gift, that God gives to us, and it is received, and we all know how to receive gifts. We open our arms, and we lay hold of what is handed to us. This gift is given to us by God in his grace. That'll be accented in verse 25. So Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness Because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just. And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, hear the word of the Lord. Now we're going to go two different directions this morning. Direction number one, we are going to probe the depths of this core paragraph by asking it three questions and letting it answer the questions. That's first. We'll spend the most time there. And then secondly, we'll step back and we will ask what this text asks of our own hearts and lives. There are implications for this explanation for God's plan of salvation. God conceived of a plan so that sinful humanity could be saved, delivered from the awful consequences of our disobedience, and at the center of that plan, spoiler alert, is Jesus Christ and the grace of God revealed in Jesus Christ. So first, God made a great plan for his people. Three questions to unpack to get to the core of the gospel. The gospel, the good news announcement about Jesus. Question number one, what is the essence of God's great plan? Look at verses 21, 22, 23, and 24. In verse 21, he opens up a new category. He says, but now, now what, Paul? Something has happened now. Now what, Paul? After Jesus has come, after he's died on the cross, after he's been raised from the dead, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Now, here's the shocking word to the Jewish ear, apart from the law. Eric, what's going on here? This is kind of confusing. What, What is here? Here's what's going on. Always before... The controlling notion had been this. The way to be righteous is to keep the law of God. By the way, have you tried to keep the law of God? The way to find out that we are unable to be righteous by keeping the law is by trying to keep the law. Because the law is our tutor and it tutors us to become more aware of our own sinfulness. That's what the law is good for. But here Paul is arguing, apart from obeying the law, we can be made righteous. How can we be made righteous and acceptable apart from that? Do you mean, Paul, that there's another way to be made righteous? And Paul's saying, yes, stay tuned, read more. So here he opens a new category, righteousness apart from the law. Salvation is a free gift. It is not earned or deserved. If you're old enough to remember the old Smith Barney commercial, John Houseman, you know, it's, uh, it's not earned. You don't earn it. You can't earn it. And that's the glory of Jesus because you don't have to in receiving him. It's a gift given to us. Look at verse 24. We're justified, that means declared righteous, by his grace. How'd that ever happen? As a gift. Have you ever opened a gift and discovered what was there? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What is the essence of God's great plan? Here it is. The answer is he is willing to give us a righteousness that he finds acceptable. Now, there are different kinds of righteousness. There's self-righteousness for the haughty and those who think that they're, you know, hey, I'm, I'm pretty good. I can do it. I did it my way. I don't need grace. I, I'm, I'm a good guy. I'm one of the salt of the earth people, whoever they are. Well, that's one kind of righteousness, self-righteousness. But then there is God's kind of righteousness that is reflective of his holiness, and it is unique and whole and without sin. It is entirely righteous. That's a different kind of righteousness. Now, God gave me a wonderful upbringing for which I am grateful. My dad loved my mom, and my mom loved my dad, and both of them loved Jesus and tried to honor him by loving each other. That's a great way to grow up. And we, we grew up, uh, you know, uh, uh, a middle-classish kind of family, uh, but my mom was very careful with our money. And I loved basketball, and uh, my feet were growing like weeds. And so uh, I often needed a pair of tennis shoes. And so I would try to persuade my mom and convince her the kind of tennis shoes that I needed. Now I'm um, kind of out of the market now, uh, but uh, <laughs> I had to look up and see what are the it tennis shoes today, because I'm not buying a lot of tennis shoes these days. Well, uh, there's a line of shoes from LeBron James, an iconic professional basketball player now, and you can get LeBron James shoes. And there's enough of a harbinger, a hangover, and a former... Generation not too long ago, Michael Jordan was the iconic star in seven NBA championships, and so you can still buy Michael Jordan shoes. But my mom was always enamored with super red ball jets. And so I'd go to practice, and you know, my friends would have in the day the LeBron James and the Michael Jordan, and kind of want to pull the top of my socks down over my shoes, you know, so, so nobody would know that I had the Super Red Ball Jets on. But to my mom, a pair of tennis shoes was a pair of tennis shoes, because she had not been schooled in the refined definition of what is the tennis shoe to have. Now, who cares about tennis shoes? But I want you to know, That there is a kind of righteousness that is found acceptable by God. And it's found in Jesus Christ. And no other kind of righteousness is acceptable. So whatever that is, you and I want to run there, lay hold of it, and find our greatest treasure in this gift of righteousness offered in the gospel. He's willing to give us this righteousness. Notice it comes in believing in Jesus Four times the term believing is here. Verse 22, it's twice. Verse 25, it's once. Verse 26, it's once. And it's a status, a status. It's actually a concept that comes out of the court system. You're declared righteous. You're not guilty of anything. You're not condemned. And it's why he will go on to say in Romans 8, chapter 1, although we're not developed unto that point yet, there is therefore now... No condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. A status of being right, righteous with God. What greater gift is there to fold into our soul? This is the gift we are given. And please note, it is no white elephant gift. This is the best gift that we could have, one that we could not provide or acquire for ourselves. And notice who it is given to. It's given to those who had no fear of God before their eyes until he woke our hearts up. It's given to those who could really have not cared two bits about the righteousness of God until he woke us up to realize that we had broken his law. That's Romans 3 and 23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we were standing condemned before God until we looked and he offered the gift of Jesus Christ. Christmases all run together. I look back on them, and, you know, who can remember? Uh, Christmas 92, what's your memory from Christmas 92? It's like, what? I don't know. I will never forget Christmas 76. It was 32 years after my grandfather looked at my, gran- looked at my mother in the bathroom of their home and said, I'm leaving your mother. And he walked out and left my grandmother with three daughters to raise by herself which she did nobly she's a great lady well he went off first was his secretary and then when that was done he found another lady he was with and 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 took off with her and so uh then october my senior year in high school my mom gets a call hey linda mac will be at the dayton airport at four o'clock you're it we're done with them and they shipped them home from florida after a stroke it, it was a mess, a long, complicated story that includes uh hopelessly addicted to alcohol and my mom ran what I came to discover and, and this is vile and violent a uh a cold turkey detox clinic when he moved into our house my senior year, and you know, all what his body did to revolt well, i mean it was just a mess so we 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 get to Christmas and you know it, it, it's uh my mom's two sisters, you know, they were a little older than her. They, You know, they had been really, you know, how do you sort this out? We get the Christmas, and it's like, what are we going to do with Bob? So he's brought along, sitting in the room, and there, there he is, 32 years after the carnage, the room's still reverberating. Sin is awful, but it's not as wonderfully transforming as grace, because grace can change the calculus of everything. But sin is awful, and the room's still shaking 32 years later. And I always remember what happened. My grandmother got out of her chair. We're opening gifts and the rooms so of just chaos and grandchildren and that. And Grandma got up, and nobody knew how this was going to sort out. You know, they're in the same room together. And she went under the tree and picked up a gift. It's like, what's that? Grandma, what are you doing? You know, we're in the middle of a party. And she grabs the gift, and she walks over, and she hands it to Mac. And it was almost like a hush. You know, like people just stopped opening their gifts. It's like, what just happened? Are you kidding me? What are you doing? Giving that deadbeat betrayer, adulterer, evil man a gift. What are you doing? Well, grandma was imitating God. She was being gracious to a rotten sinner. Unless you think I shouldn't have said that about my grandfather. Look at Romans 3.23. That's what we need to say about ourselves. All, without distinction, have fallen short. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What is the essence of God's great plan? He is willing to give to us, in spite of who we are, a righteousness that he finds acceptable. Now, secondly... What else is at the core? It's here. Second question, how did God pull off the plan? How did he pull it off? Look at verse 24 and look at verse 25. How did he make his plan work? What had to be done? Here's what had to be done to execute this plan. The execution of this plan involved the execution of his son. The righteous one had to offer himself for the unrighteous. Or what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, he, speaking of God, made him, speaking of Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities, the French Revolution. This is Charles Darnay, Put in prison in France, awaiting, and they were, the guillotine was the favorite method that day. He's there. He's visited by one Sidney Carton. And Carton has him change clothes. He gives him his clothes and he takes his prisoner clothes. And because he had a wife, Darnie. Walks out to go back to England with his family. And Sidney goes to his death. As it were, in the person of Charles Darney. You know what? There's only one great story to tell. And it's God's story of redemption. And it just keeps being told over and over and over again. In the best movies and in the best books. And Dickens tells it in A Tale of Two Cities. How did God pull off his plan? It was accomplished on Good Friday through the death of Jesus. Now here at Calvary, we love the word of God and believe that the word of God is inspired. The very words of the text chosen by God to express just what he wanted to express. So there are three. Remember I said the core The mother load, there are three six dollar theological words that come rapid fire, one right after the other here. You say, Mounts, I gotta go to work tomorrow. Who cares about redemption? Mounts, I you know, I, I I'm afraid of the future, and you're up there talking about propitiation, really? Mounts, I I'm trying to deal with my past, I'm trying to live in my present, I'm a little foreboding about the future. Well, you're up there talking about justification. What are you doing? God thought that these words were so important to understand that he put them right up front in the text. And what if I told you that in understanding these concepts, it transforms the way we live in this old broken world and face our fears and face our past and face tinges of guilt and moments of regret and memories of things we'd like to reshape and days we'd like to have back. These words, properly understood and appropriated, transform how we live and actually fill our bosom with life. So without apology, we're going to look at these three words. Word number one is the word redemption. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, verse 24. Now, this word comes out of the slave market of the first century. You say, slave market, Eric, how can I relate to that? Well, it's it's foreign to us. By the way, Americans have only one category for slavery, the tragic, sinful evil of American slavery in the 18th and 17th century. In the first century, 10% of the people living in the Roman Empire were free and 90% were considered slaves. Not in the 18th, 17th century American sense of slavery, but they were in slavery to debt or in slavery to obligation and they had to be responsive to their masters in order to get sustenance to live, you say, well, Erica, it's kind of like my job. I feel like I'm a slave to my job. You know, I've got to go back to the s- slavery house tomorrow. So in this environment, but what was different about slavery in the first century is people would come in and out of slavery, and their will was in play in coming in and out of slavery, which meant if you could get enough money to pay off an obligation, you could go to the slave market and you could put the money down and you could be emancipated. You could be, and here's the term that they use, redeemed. You could be redeemed out of the market of slavery and be deemed no longer a slave. Well, this act of getting out of the market of slavery was called redeemed or redemption. He was redeemed, she was Redeemed, And it was common enough for that word to be in circulation, so God moved Paul to use it to describe. You want to understand God's great plan of salvation? Use this concept. It's like being redeemed out of the slave market of sin. We, in bondage, given our forefather Adam to choices that, rather than please God, break God's law. Remember, Romans 3 and 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But he redeems us. God in Christ, with this gift of righteousness, takes us out of the slave market of sin, and brings us into the market of freedom, and the blessing of being forgiveness, being forgiven in this gift of righteousness, redemption. I remember when I was a boy, we a little boy, we grew, I grew up on a, a rural road, and that was back in the day when a lot of uh, soft drinks were uh, in glass bottles and the companies would take them all back and wash them and entirely sterilize them and put them right back in circulation but they would be cast off at the side of the road and the companies would trade you dimes for their bottles now to a little boy that was like hey great so at the end of the summer uh, I'd get my wagon and my mom would make sure I wasn't out in the middle of the road but I would go along the road, and all the bottles that had been thrown out, and our habits have changed happily better. Used to be a lot more stuff thrown out, and there was less of a social stigma against doing that, but you know, I'd load up the wagon with glass bottles and take them in, and they would be redeemed, and here I was taking something that was an outcast, bringing it in to be thoroughly cleansed and repurposed and put back into circulation. They called that process redeemed. Now, in this sense, I was paid to bring in the uh, bottles that had been discarded. And that's where the, the illustration breaks down because when it comes to God's redemption for us, he paid the price to bring us out of the ditch of our own making with the choices of our sin And he paid the price to change everything to bring us out of that and give us a future and a hope in this gift of righteousness. Redemption. Now the second $6 word here is in verse 25. I love this word. It's the word propitiation. 23 times in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this word shows up propitiation, but it's not translated propitiation. It's translated uh, mercy seat. It's the lid on the Ark of the Covenant. You remember the Ark of the Covenant had two things in it. It had Aaron's rod, which had budded, showing, hey, that's the priestly uh, clan. They will represent us before the Lord. And then it had the tablets of stone that Moses brought off of Sinai that God gave to him, expressing the righteousness of God in the law of God. It was there. And as it were, in an image, trying to teach the people of God the importance of the righteousness of God. As it were, it was an image of God looking down. And he looked through the top of the ark and he saw the law of God. And when he saw the law of God, you know what the law did? The law bore witness to the fact that we had broken the law. That's its only purpose. The law teaches us that we are lawbreakers. Remember Paul says and we'll get to it. I didn't even know I had coveting in my heart until I read thou shalt not covet and then as I read that I discovered all manner of covetousness in my own heart. So the law reveals sin and so as God looked at the law he sees his holy standards and he sees how his people have violated. That's why once a year the high priest would come in and he would pour The blood of sacrifice on the day of atonement over the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And this lid, sometimes called the mercy seat, that's this word, propitiation, this lid... Would then the blood would be diffused over the cover. And as it were, as God looked down, you know what? He didn't see the law condemning us because we've broken it. He saw the blood sacrifice that pleased him and covered the sin. And so the people of God began to understand what was about to unfold in Jesus. And you do that for a couple of millennia, from Moses to Malachi. And then John the Baptist gets up there, and he looks at Jesus, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And they said, I see it. And I've seen it through the lens of what has been in this. And God is propitiated. What's propitiation mean? It means that God was pleased with the sacrifice of Jesus. That on Good Friday, some are offended By the language in Isaiah 53, 10, when it says, and it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Eric, what's that? I'll tell you what it is. It's talking about the pleasure God took in the sufficient sacrifice of Jesus to resolve the sin of his people forever and ever and ever. So that our hell fell on Jesus so that in believing in him, we could have life. And he was, his wrath, justly poured out on sin because he is holy, was propitiated. It was satisfied. It was resolved. It's a beautiful word. It's why at the end of Good Friday, it was over. Who needs to hear that this morning? I do. I love its reminder. At the end of Good Friday, it was over. It's why he said before his penultimate thing that he said, remember the last thing he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. Before he said that, he said this, it is finished. And by the way, if it's finished for a holy God, how comes we could let ourselves be dragged back into feelings of guilt and lament and shame when it is finished with God if it's finished with him it needs to be finished with us and by the way apart from receiving Christ in your life it's not finished but the glory of the good news is it can be the debt has been paid propitiation i love that word it's enough the debt's paid in full the wrath of god is satisfied Think of old William Newell, the lyrics of the old hymn at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there, he's talking about the cross, was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. There, where the wrath of God was propitiated. Now finally, the third word is justified. This one matters. Verse 24, the word justified. It means to be declared righteous. It's a status. It's actually a term that comes out of the courtroom, as I've said. It's, if you like this word, a forensic term. It's a term of legal status. Martin Luther said the irony of this gift is while we are giving this gift of righteousness, we are both a sinner yet while still righteous before God in the gift of righteousness. Isn't that interesting? And then this gift of righteousness begins to heal our desire to sin. To be declared righteous. Please don't miss the one who is declaring. It's our holy God who declares us righteous in Christ. What a comprehensive plan. He redeems us. He Buys us out of the market of sin with the price of his own shed blood. The coach for Wisconsin Badger football team, after a slow start this year, and after a great record, I think he was like 61 and 29, 61 wins, 29 losses. He was 2 and 3 for the first five games, and he's fired. Well, trying to unwind the contract in a uh, firing that was not for cause, uh, his contract said he needs $20 million. Well, they had a talk and got it down to $11 million. They called it a buyout. And uh, this is Wisconsin trying to get rid of who they thought was a deadbeat coach. It cost them $11 million. But God's buyout is different on a couple of fronts. Uh, number one, he was not trying to exclude us with a buyout and run us away. He was trying to include us with his affection and bring us into his family. And he spared nothing to bring us in. We'll get there. Romans 8, 27, for He spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, and will not with him freely give us all things. Third question. What's so great about God's plan? Verse 26. What's so great about God's plan? Notice what he's talking about. And to understand verse 26, let's think about presidential pardons. The Constitution in our country gives a lot of authority to the president. There's a lot of presidential power. One of his powers that he can exercise is a power of clemency. He can grant pardons. Bill Clinton, in the eight years that he was president, was involved in 456 acts of clemency. I'm not picking on one party in the four years of uh, Uh, President Trump, he, uh, Donald Trump, uh, was involved in 237 acts of clemency. Usually, they make people mad, and they're viewed as unjust and unfair. For example, at the 11th hour, just when the next president was being inaugurated, um, Donald Trump, or uh, Bill Clinton, uh, pardoned Mark Rick. Mark Rick had... uh, uh, circumvented all the sanctions against Iran and was involved in business transactions that uh, helped with uh, technology and stuff that wasn't supposed to get to Iran. We made a lot of money doing it. It's my understanding uh, they also gave a measure of it to the Democratic Party. So, at the you know, at like uh, 1152, right before the swearing in of the president, they released uh, Mark Rick as and people said, oh, that's not fair. That's not right to have that guilty man be pardoned. And it, it, it is viewed by some. That made President Clinton look bad. President Trump. Here's Paul Manafort. Here's uh, Michael Flynn, Roger Stone, all three of which pled guilty in federal car- court to charges brought against them. And they were all pardoned by President Trump on his way out of office how can pardons actually be just how can the pardoner keep his integrity because are we to view uh president clinton as oh, he was a dirt bag because he let the guilty go free his integrity was at stake because a man of integrity would care about guilt and would care about the transgression you couldn't just let a person off Oh, well, President Trump, he let those, his cronies off, and they were guilty, it is said. And, 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 and I'm not making a political statement. I'm trying to use an illustration. But the point is that the president's integrity is at stake when he pardons them. So is God's. And verse 26 answers the question, How could God maintain his tegr- integrity, being holy and fair and just? and uncompromising and right while letting anyone off the hook who would receive Jesus Christ as his Savior. That's not fair. How is that fair? How can he maintain his integrity? Oh, he can if he is both just And the justifier. But Eric, how could he be both the person who is just and fair and the person who lets the guilty off the hook in Christ? How could he do it unless he becomes man and offers himself as the sacrifice that would resolve it all? Because in that sacrifice, he maintains his integrity. Does he not show his heart? Oh, the glory... Of the gospel. The mother load is right here. The central vein, the core. Redemption. We've been redeemed if we know Jesus as a Savior. Propitiation. It's finished, resolved. All the glory of a full pardon. God maintains his integrity, a God-pleasing sacrifice. Now, this passage asks us three questions before we go home. Question number one, are we assuming too much about God's forbearance? Did you see that? Verse 25, forbearance, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over our former sins. If God is holy, if he cared about his holiness, and there were millennia of Adam's children who lived, who paid no attention to him and died, how comes God didn't zap them with uh, thunderbolts of lightning from heaven? Well, because he was forbearing their sin, awaiting the promise of his son, and inviting everyone who would either, before Jesus, believe in the promise of his coming, or after Jesus, believe that he came, and in believing, come to have hope in life and realize that promise. The 27th of August, 2019, Jessie Combs died. She died going 522 miles an hour, setting a land speed record for a woman, and she had always lived out there on the edge, always doing risky things. She's the only female ever to be the grand marshal for the uh, bike ride into Sturgis, and she was an edgy gal, and she loved the edginess. She just was out there on the wave, living that way, hopped in that jet, took off, got the 522 miles an hour, and was involved in a horrible accident that took her life. Some said, well, you know, we knew it was going to catch up with her, and it did. You know, some get out there on the crest of no fear of God before their eyes. They don't think of God. They don't care of God. They care about themselves, and they're just in the Audubon of the good life, and it's wide open. The tachometer's on the red line, and they have no thought that the forbearance of God only goes so far. Where are you this morning? You know what? God's inviting you after Good Friday and after Easter morning to himself here this morning. Secondly, do we appreciate what it took God to accomplish his plan? Maybe all of this challenge is captured with a former preacher and a former generation said, A.W. Tozer, modern Christians yawn at the cross. How could we be insensitive to what God has done for us in Christ. We love the results of God's plan. Salvation to all who believe. Do we love the depths of his love manifest in the plan? Are we moved? Once upon a time, the church sang the song, Just to think of the cross moves me now. Is anybody moved by the cross anymore? Can we call ourselves in God's family if we can give or take the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Where are we, Calvary? Finally, have we received God's great gift of righteousness? What if God had ordained that you'd be here? You'd be here today, October 10th, And he would open your heart to believe in Jesus. You would stop trusting in your self-righteousness and give up those super red ball jets and lay hold of True righteousness offered as a free gift in Jesus Christ. You ever been involved in a Christmas gift opening fracas and there's like eight people simultaneously ripping gifts open and and some careful person is trying to track what exactly is going on with each gift and they, they cannot stay with everything and they'll yell across the room, hey, what was in that gift? I didn't see it. And they'll yell back across the room, it was a pair of gray socks. i say, oh, okay, I got it, you know. What's in that gift offered in Jesus? A righteous standing in, in Christ that we could have no other way. The glory of the gospel brings us to the love of God in Christ. The glory of the gospel brings us to the face of Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. We love his grace. We love the gift of righteousness. We love his pardon and acceptance. But remember, we love him because he first loved us. And he's calling you to himself this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. You know who's here this morning? You know who's here who's already received Christ? You know who's here who has not yet received Christ? Open their hearts this morning and right now to believe in Jesus Christ and to receive your righteousness as a gift. Thank you that the door of heaven this morning, the door of relating to you, could not be more wide open and standing at the door is the Lamb, Jesus, who offered himself for us. And then, Lord, how could we come to be indifferent to the cross and live between too much time, between affectionate thoughts for Jesus? I mean, all he did was save us from hell. Oh Lord stir our hearts to be a church full of people who sing because it is true oh how i love jesus oh god remove us from distraction thank you for jesus christ our lord thank you for the spirit of god here this morning to work in people's lives hear us as we pray respond to you pray in jesus name amen